It's my privilege this morning to continue on with you in the Word. Last week, I spoke a message about going the distance, entitled oh, the first part of that message, and today, obviously, I want to do the second part and hopefully go the full distance in this message. But if you won't mind, can I pray a prayer and just, uh, just commit this Word to the Lord this morning? Father, I thank you for the Scriptures, for the Word, for your Spirit that leads us and guides us in truth, Father. Lord, and I thank you for the privilege that I have in this community, to from time to time do this and to share your word. But Lord, I recognize fully that if it's not for your anointing, if it's not for your presence, then it, it really just won't go very far. So I just present this word to you this morning and ask for your grace. Grace upon me to deliver the word in a way that impacts and is clear, that is applicable, but also your grace on those that hear, Father, hear over YouTube, for the radio, whoever hears this message, Lord, that they would be able to, by your Spirit, receive the message and, and apply it in their lives and let it speak to them in the way that you desire for it to do. We just commit this to you, and we trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week I spoke a little bit about this wonderful news, this great message, and I hope that those of you that weren't here last week uh, would go online and listen to the message or watch it on our YouTube channel, but I shared this great news with, with everyone here that you and me, we are all sinners. What a great message. And you came back. Isn't it wonderful? That we all have this problem with sin. And uh, the basic point was that it's so important for us to understand what sin is. How do we define sin and how it impacts our lives? And uh, I know that may sound to you like a very negative thing, but the, the idea that I ended with was simply this idea that if we understand sin, we can begin to understand forgiveness. And if we understand forgiveness, we can understand what love is. Because if I know how much God has forgiven me, and how much uh, I'm guilty of things and don't deserve his love, then the fact that he loves me so completely and so perfectly just blows my mind. So we don't want to linger on sin, and today we're going to move past from sin, uh, on from there, and really on how, how God can change us. But let me just go back a little bit quickly into, just so that for those of you that weren't here last week, or for many of you that probably can't remember what I said last week, just to highlight again for you, I used one of the words that the Bible describes, uh, uses to, to describe sin, it's the word hamartia in the Greek, which is a translation from the Hebrew, which literally means to miss the mark. It's an archery term, and therefore I have my little set of toys here, my arrow and my, and my gun. And arrows, and I, I basically said last week from the scripture, we understand the scripture like Ma Matthew 5, verse 48, that says, You are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That God's standard for life and what He expects of us as His children is to be perfect. It's to, sorry, you guys, nothing against you. It's to hit the mark. <sighs> Stuck without me licking it. See how long that lasts. It's to hit the mark. To every time we do, we think, we act, our attitudes, everything about our lives, what God expects of us and how God wants life to work is to hit the mark, is to do the perfect thing every time. Now you may say to me, that's just unkind. That's unrealistic. How can God do that? That, that just seems so harsh. That's, that sets us up for judgment and condemnation if we really believe that. Now, I understand that's a challenge, but let me put it to you like this. Do you really want to live in a world where anything less than perfect is acceptable? 
Because it's the imperfect that leads to death. It's the imperfect that leads, leads to suffering, to hatred, to bigotry, to sickness, to pain. It's all those things are our experience because we don't live in the perfect that God had intended. But if we live in the perfect, then there is no deviation from God's plan. There is no moving away from what he had intended. Then there is no sickness. There is no brokenness. There is no death. There is no pain. There is no hatred. That's the perfect. So which one would you choose? Perfect or imperfect? Now in God, he wants us, and that's why Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life in abundance. He came to restore us, to bring us into the perfect that God has in mind for us. So it may be hard on us, it may be feel unkind, but really it's so that we can have the life that God intended, not just for us as human beings, but for this whole creation to experience His goodness, His perfection, and that's why it's His standard, that things be perfect. But we miss the mark, we fall short, and that's what the word hamartia means. And the Bible basically tells us that we have this problem called the sin problem, which is a problem of our nature, which I can describe it like this, is that at its worst, we're not even interested in hitting the target. We're not even interested in going for the center. We, we don't even care about that. At its best, if we care and we try, we don't get it right. We may get close to the mark, but... Close is not good enough. That even if we get it right, sometimes to hit the mark, a lot of the times we fail. And if the standard is perfection, then 99% is not good enough. If you fail once, you're guilty of missing the mark. And God's standard is never miss the mark. So that's the challenge we have before us. That's the challenge. That's the one side of the gospel message. That, if I put it like this, that's the bad news of the gospel message. But the gospel message is good news. So, imperfect. Must I lick it? Is that a help? I'll show you my magician's trick. This one will stay because I've put prestic in the middle. <laughs> that one didn't have prestic. So we... We want to understand now, how do we do this? How do we get to that place of perfection? Or is it just some idea and it's not possible? Obviously, as Christians, if we believe in the good news of the gospel, we believe it's possible. It can happen. So how do we do it? How do we achieve this? Everything's falling today. I don't want to put this back here because then it's on the... Cameras, I'll put it there. It's, is it possible for us? Now, sometimes our temptation is to say, yes, it's possible if we just know what to do. And therefore, we're so grateful and we're so thankful as people that we have the Bible. Because the Bible describes to us in great detail what this is. What is the bullseye? What is the perfect that God wants? And throughout the scripture, God takes great care to describe. He's got the law that describes to us what it means to be perfect. 
And throughout the Old Testament, it gets really detailed. If you think about just what, how you should behave on the Sabbath, that you should have a Sabbath. That's part of God's law. That's part of living in God's perfect world is that you have one day out of seven that you dedicate to Him and that it's the day in the rhythm of your life, which is your Sabbath day, your rest day. You're withdrawing from activity and, 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 and resting and being with Him. That, that's one of the ways that we need to do things to be perfect. And in the law, He describes for us very carefully how, what did that look like. And if you go and study the Old Testament law, as far as I remember, there's 611 descriptors or mini laws that describe to you how to behave on the Sabbath. So if I can just know each of one of those 611 laws and make sure that I keep to every one of them, then I can be perfect. And then I can live my life perfect. But I can't do 610 out of the 611 because then I'm failing, then I'm not perfect. So thankfully, God, we know how to do it. And then God even sent us Jesus and Jesus came and lived among us and the word says that he was perfect without sin. So he did everything right. So not only do I have the law of the Old Testament that describes to me what perfect is, and if I do that, then I'll be perfect. I also have Jesus that came and showed us and was an example so I can study his life. He said that he did nothing unless he saw the Father do it. So he was perfect, and if I studied his life and just do what Jesus did, you know, get a little bracelet, what would Jesus do, and wear that, and live my life every day, what would Jesus do in every situation, then possibly I can also do it and be perfect. How many of you have tried that? Have you tried it? Anybody? What was your success rate? Any perfect people among us? If your husband puts up his hand right now, <laughs> correct him, please. Pull it down. <laughs> Remind him. The scripture does such a great job, and Paul in particular in the book of Romans, he does such an amazing job of describing to us the, the problem we have when we try so hard. He says, for instance, in Romans 7, which is a good portion of scripture where he describes this battle. And he says this, for instance, in verse 19, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. No matter how hard we try as human beings, if we have perfect understanding even, if it's, if it's possible to have perfect understanding of what is God's law and how to do it and what perfect life looks us, no matter how hard we try, we just can't get it right all the time, every time. We fail. Sometimes it almost feels like in my life I can understand these words of Paul because sometimes it feels like the harder I try, the more I mess it up. Have you ever had an experience like that? Where perhaps in a time in your life you said, okay, I recognize I've got this problem and it's not the way God wants me to live and I'm not gonna work at it. So let's say it's patience. So I put a print in bold and I plaster it on my mirror, you know, where I shave in the morning, I say, patience. And then every day when I get up, I say, patience. And I meditate on patience. I read every scripture there is to read about patience. I listen to sermons about patience. I hang out with patient people. <laughs> when I get in my car and I leave in the morning, I listen to whale songs. <laughs> you know, comforting, soft, gentle 
patient music. I take roots that encourage patience. None of those minibuses, you know, on those routes. I, I take patience. And when somebody cuts across me, patience. I get to work. And I take regular breaks throughout the day. And I find a quiet spot. And I go, patience. And by the afternoon, I get home. And I walk in. The toys are all over the place. What did my wife do all day long? Patience. Patience. I open my mail and there's a couple of those, we, we call them fensterkie You know what a window letter is? Bills. Patience. How many of you have tried and then you spectacularly fail? Spectacularly, it's like you leech a whole new level of impatience. <laughs> I am so impatient of trying to be patient now. I can't do this any longer. Because this is the problem with the human condition. Our human condition, if what the Bible says is true, is fundamentally deep within our very being, we have a sin problem. It's not a behavior problem, it's a nature problem. We tend that way. And even if we study the scripture, even if we try our level best according to the law, we fail. So what's the answer? What hope do we have? How is it possible to hit the mark? Because it seems no amount of training on my side, you know, practicing every day with my, with my bow and arrow in every situation, practicing patience, practicing patience, practicing patience, will ultimately get me to hit the mark every time. What do I do then? What hope do I have? Romans 8 verse 3 and 4, just listen to this as I read it for you. Paul describes this and he says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. He says all this description that we have of what perfect is and what God wants from us is great, but it can't change us. It doesn't ultimately change us and make us able to hit the mark all the time, every time. It's unable to save us. It can affect our behavior, but it doesn't change this fundamental weakness that is in us. So God did what the law could not do. So the whole of the Old Testament, God built this law. Do you think that God ultimately went, this is not working, we've got to find another plan? Or was he trying to communicate something to us? Teach us something? The scripture says the, old, the law is a tutor. It teaches us. He was trying to teach us that the answer for hitting the mark is not something outside of us. There's something in us that is needed. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the body we sinners have. In other words... Jesus, the Son of God, came and lived among us in the same condition as you and I are in terms of our human bodies. Now, he had no sin in him. He had no original sin, but he also had no personal sin. He was not born in sin because he was born of the Spirit, and he also did no sin, the Scripture tells us. He was perfect, like I said earlier. 
But not only did he come and live among us to remind us of what the law says, because he often spoke about the law. And not only did he come and live us to show us an example, but he did something more. He went a step further. And what was that step? He did the ultimate thing that changes the whole game, that makes it possible for us to hit the target. It wasn't the law. It wasn't even his example. It was this. And in that body, Jesus, God declared an end to sin's control over us. In other words, that we can't help ourselves. By giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So the game changer, the one thing that changed the whole equation, it's not the law, understanding what perfect is, trying to do what perfect is. It wasn't the life Jesus lived as an example merely. That was a big part of the game changer. But ultimately it was this, that he died as a sacrifice for our sins. So literally what Jesus did, he said, even though I have hit the mark every time, I have no reason to stand guilty before God and ashamed before God because I perfectly kept his law and his will. I did everything right. I'm going to take upon myself the blame for every person that ever missed the mark. Every time the mark was missed, the standard was not achieved. There is shame and guilt and judgment that comes with that because of the law of God. Now you can again say, no, how, why must there be judgment? Can't God just say, ah, it's never mind. Just try and it's good. If God does that, then we end up in a world with, with brokenness, pain, death, hatred, and there's no option for us. It's just the way it is. But if God judges our sin, there's a possibility for us to get out of it and to live in the world that he actually wanted us to live in. So in Jesus, Jesus said, I will take every judgment, every failure, me that was perfect, I will take that upon as if I did it. The one that was perfect took upon himself our imperfection. And then he went to the cross and he endured the punishment. He took the punishment from the law, not from the father, from the law, for that sin. And he took all of that punishment. So you can almost imagine it it's just an example. It's not true in that sense. But imagine that here's your life's arrow. And your name's written on it. And every time you shot, but you failed. Sometimes you didn't even aim for the target. In your rebellion, you shot completely wrong direction. Every one of those, Jesus took your arrow and he took upon himself. And he said, Lord, forgive this person. Here's the price for their sin. I pay it. And then he died, rose on the third day. And when he rose from the third day, he took the keys of hell from the enemy during that time, um, during death. And he came and he rose and he overcame sin and death, the scripture says. So not now he still had your arrow in his hands, but now your arrow has the potential to be perfect. He paid the price for that imperfect arrow. And he said, now... If you believe in me, I have made it possible that your arrow can actually 
be this arrow that hits the target every time. That's what Jesus did. But I have to believe and receive that. For every human being, if I use my example again, please remember it's only an example. For every human being that ever have lived and will live, there's a name, your arrow, with your name on it. Packed somewhere with the potential to hit the target. But you have to receive it. You have to say, thank you, Lord. And that's where faith comes in. When I say, thank you, Lord, that first of all, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe I need forgiveness. I believe that I transgressed your law. I receive that. But then I receive that Jesus came. He lived among us. And that's a historical fact. You don't even have to have faith to do that. It's a historical fact. But that I believe that he lived as the son of God. That he died without sin to pay the price for my sin. And when I say, thank you, Lord, that you have paid the price for my sin. And thank you that in you I can be perfect. What happens is in that moment, I become perfect in my position. I am like Christ. And that's what God does for you. So if I've received the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus, if I've received salvation, we, we talk about being born again, then I am a child of God. This is how He sees me. Amen? How many of you are in that condition? How many of you can say today, this is my state? I am a child of God. I am forgiven. Come on. And nothing can change that. Because it's not based on what I did, it's based what on Christ did. I received that. But is that the end of the story? Is that now it? Can we say, thank you, done. Now let's live our lives. We are forgiven. We are justified. That's the word it means. Just as if I've never sinned. Jesus sees me perfect. Woohoo! Let's live life. Or is there more to it? Does it matter that now as a person, perfect, righteous, in Christ, this is what my position is, that actually in practical everyday life, this still happens. Does it still happen with any of you? Do I have to convince you? Anybody? Since you've been a Christian, do you still fail? Do you still spectacularly miss the mark every now and then? Even my prestige's not living up to what I've promised. Do we still miss it? And does it matter? Is it, does it matter that we still miss the mark? Or do we, can we just say, man, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. You know that bumper sticker? I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. Does it doesn't matter that I still miss the mark? Is it something that should change in my life, or can I just carry on? Yeah, it's fine. No, it must change. Because if this is true, that I no longer have a sinful nature that controls my life, that I can't help myself, but there's now something new alive in me, if that's true, surely, stop it, surely, ooh, that was terrible, sorry, surely it must make a difference in my practical life also. Didn't Jesus say you will know the tree by its fruit? If, so the, the argument goes something like this. If I really got saved and that really happened to me, then surely it must start changing my aim. My aim must start getting better. And instead of every time missing the mark here, perhaps there's times where I actually, sorry for turning my back against you. Hello. I must actually get closer. 
and closer. Now it'll stick. And perhaps sometimes it's possible that I hit the market, but then oh, I got it right once, and oh, then next time I'm still a bit off. But, but you know, overall, there's an improvement. Must that happen, or is that not necessary? No, it must. And that's the process that God is busy with each of our lives. So I'm thankful for what Jesus has done for me, but I'm also thankful for what Jesus is doing in me and through me. And that in me and through me is called the process of sanctification. He is sanctifying me. I'm becoming more like the one who is now my Lord and Savior, the one under whose authority I now live. That is actually changing my life. And more and more as I spend time with the Lord, I become like Him. I'm, I'm, I probably won't reach perfection in this, on this planet, you know, until Jesus comes. But man, it's, the, it's God is busy with me and you can see it. It's wonderful when I see in people's lives, man, God is busy with that person. But how does that happen? How is it possible that I can actually do that, grow in Christ, that my sanctification can grow? Just two scriptures, John 17, verse 16 and 17, Jesus says this, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Where Jesus spoke about sanctification. I like this one in Hebrews 10, verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So in that sentence we have this both. It says we have been perfected, but we are being perfected. All at the same time. So in my position I'm perfect, but in practice God is busy working towards that. That which is my spiritual position becomes my reality. Now, how does that work? How does that happen? How do I get that right in my life? Is it now possible for me to do it? Because now I have the law and I have the description of what perfect is. I've also been forgiven by the blood of Jesus has cleansed me clean. I, I have now you know, saved and Jesus is my Lord. So has that changed it? Can I now do it? Is it now possible for me to be patient? Can I now put, is it okay if I now put patience on my mirror? Listen to whale songs, speak patience all day long, and just, just do it, man. Is it now possible? How many of you have tried it as a Christian? Do you get it right? No, we still fail. What? So is this real? Is this Christian thing really work? Because I'm, I know what the law is. I've seen the example of Christ. Jesus now lives in me, so now I can do it. I've got no excuse, but yet I still don't get it right all the time. What's going on? Because the reality is, as Paul writes to the Galatians, have you started in faith, but you want to complete it in works? I still can't do this on my own. I still need God. And that's why the Father sent Jesus to pay the price for my sin. But then Jesus, remember when he ascended up to heaven, he said, it's better for you that I go, but I will send you the Holy Spirit and he will guide you into all truth. One of the things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. So now what happens is, I live, but the Spirit of God lives within me. And it's the Spirit of God 
that works within me the works of salvation, that enables me, that changes my life. I can't change my life, but I can allow the Spirit of God and yield to the working of the Spirit, and He transforms my life. He does the work. So, brilliant. Not only did Jesus pay the price for my sin, I can't do it. I now have the Holy Spirit that lives in me, and I can't be perfect, but He can do it in me, so this is an awesome deal. I have to do nothing. I just go along for the ride. Man, who would want to be any other religion than being a Christian? God does it all. You just go along. Is it that simple? No. This is the point where it comes, where we say, okay, Lord, so how do I play a part in this? Because if the Holy Spirit's going to do it in me, what's my part? Now, I think the Bible has a lot to say about it, but let me read with you Romans 6, verse 10 to 14. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, reckon yourselves, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey in its lusts. Therefore, do not let sin. So this kind of language, if I read the scripture, it talks about very, it's very verby, it's very active, it's very, there's some things you have to do. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You are not under law, but under grace. You are no longer living in that place where you are trying to obey the law to achieve God's perfect standard. Why? Why are you not like that anymore? Because Jesus did it for you. And that's grace. Grace is God gave us what we couldn't get on our own. He gave us forgiveness, life. He made us perfect. But we continue on, and the working of grace by the Holy Spirit is the working of sanctification in our lives, where the the Spirit of God is working within us. But if I understand this scripture correctly, and I know I'm only reading one scripture, there's many scriptures that talk about this. I like this concept, where Paul says, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God. Can you see in that he gives us two actions, two steps that we have to take if we're going to see the sanctification happen in our lives. If we're going to see the work of the Spirit fulfilled in us, our part is this, I think there's many different ways you can describe this, but in this language, there's a part that we must present ourselves to, that we must allow, that we must pursue, and there's a part that we must not present ourselves to, a part we must let die or not be part of or not give attention to. Do you see that in that scripture? So if I understand that correctly, if the sanctification process, me becoming more like Jesus, me practically in my life getting closer to hitting the target more often is to happen, there's a part I must do and there's a part I must stay away from. So let's talk about the first part first. I think the first thing he says to us, if you want to become more like Jesus... You must be alive to God. You must become alive to God. You must live towards God. You must live with your heart set on God. 
Perhaps one of the ways we can translate that is to, to have a desire for God. You see, the basic problem with sin is that we don't have a desire for God and His things anymore. So when Jesus renews us, we get born again, there's, we're alive by the Spirit, there's new life in us. Part of this new life is that now there's a rekindling of our desire for God and His things. We, have, we begin to develop. And isn't your desire or your passions or your appetite so important in your life because your appetite tends to drive you? Whether it's an appetite for good things, righteousness, whether it's an appetite for food, an appetite for money, an appetite for power, an appetite for relationships. I mean, our appetites drive so much of us. But if we can have an appetite for God, a hunger for God. Now, how do you get and grow a hunger for God? I think that's a really fundamental question to ask in our lives. Because we have this now, we've been positioned in a place where there is a passion for God, but we have to cultivate it, we have to grow it, we have to strengthen it. And we do that by presenting ourselves to God. It's like taking yourself to God all the time. Because your, your desire for God will not grow if you don't get to know more of God. God is amazing, God is beautiful, God is so wonderful that every time you spend time with Him, you want more of Him because He's so spectacular. But if you stay away from him, your desire for him will dwindle. Because you forget, you sort of, but if you present yourself. So how do you present yourself to God? And this is where some of our very basic practices as Christians comes in. The scripture. It's a great way to present yourself, to engage with the scripture. Because the scripture is not merely the law, it's not merely the descriptor of the actions we take in God. It's much more than that. It's the descriptor of who God is and what is His heart is all about. It's the first way that we start to understand who God is. And it's a great place to start to listen to what, what, what are the things God would say. How do I recognize Him? How do I get to know Him? So engage with the scripture. Now, this is tricky. I know very well as you know, that the Bible is not always easy to engage with. Amen? Sometimes it's difficult. The Bible can be quite frustrating because sometimes it seems to be the easiest, simplest book that gives you such great answers so quickly. And then at other times, it's like, I don't have a clue what this means and I don't understand as it applies to my life and I don't know how to get the answers for it. Is that any of your experience? Have you felt that way? But you know what is the great thing about the Scripture? The Scripture wasn't written for little bite-sized nuggets. It's great to get those out of the Scripture, and sometimes that's what God does. No, but the Scripture was written for us to have a lifelong journey with it. A lifelong journey. It draws us into the presence of God. It stirs hunger and passions within us. The Scripture was written in that way. I mean, it's been my privilege to, as a professional person, I can say this, for, for more than 25 years now to study the Scripture. I remember when I was a student here and I started in my theology training, a friend of mine gave me a little card and it said, who, who studies the Bible will be a student for life. And isn't that true of the Scripture? You constantly have to study and learn and go further and further and further. Sometimes it unpacks in layers. It's been my privilege to have preached thousands of sermons from this one book, the Bible. I mean, I'm so, I'm so grateful that I don't have to sit in my study every week and go, which book shall I preach from this week? There's one book we preach from. 
But I can tell you that it's been an amazing journey for, at times to sit with the Scripture and to say, what does this mean, Lord? I don't have a clue. And then to start thinking and asking questions. And the greatest tool that you can have in terms of the Scripture is just to be inquisitive. Ask, what does this mean? What does it mean to me? How does this impact my life? Why is my life not the same as what this Scripture says? Why is this so difficult? Ask. And you don't have to find an answer every session you sit and read the Scripture. Sometimes I spend weeks on one verse or one portion of Scripture, really wrestling with it, digging through it, thinking about it, asking questions, reading, getting, and we don't have excuse. We live in that day and the age where we have access to good information. Meditate on the Word. Let the Word draw you in. If you read a Scripture and you don't have a clue what it means, say, Lord, help me. And search answers, find answers, discuss it with other people. The Scripture is a great way to stir our appetite, to present ourselves to the Lord. We also present ourselves to the Lord in prayer. Prayer is many things. Prayer is, I mean, there's intercessory prayer, warfare prayer, prophetic prayer. There's all kinds of prayer. But prayer at its foundation is having conversation with God. And those of us that have been in Hatfield long, how many of you remember being taught on that? Mark Verkler, some of us goes, hearing God's voice. It was a whole year of teaching on how to hear God's voice. But prayer is this engaging with the Lord, talking with the Lord, involving Him in every part of our lives, discussing, and I'm, I'm trying to work on that in my life, to not only talk to the Lord, but to talk with the Lord. So that when I've got something that I'm trying to figure out with my children and, 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 and I pray for them, I'm not just saying, Lord, do this in their life. Lord, will you do this? I, so I also go to a place where I say, Lord, you th I think this is what they need and I think this is what you should be doing. But perhaps you see it differently. Perhaps you have a different perspective. Tell me what you feel. And then sometimes God gives me a different viewpoint and I go, wow, okay. But I engage. I present every part of my life to the Lord consistently. Fasting. <laughs> Aren't you glad the week of fasting is finished? Now you can eat what you want. Fasting is this great way because you see part of our problem with stirring our passions for God is that other things replace it. We replace our passion with God with passions for other things. And fasting is about minimizing all the other things that you can be passionate about and saying, Lord, I want you to be my passion. I want to hunger for you more than anything else. It's not legalistic. It's, you know, I think it comes from that place. Fellowship, being with the believers. Coming to church should stir your passion for God. When I preach on a Sunday and the preaching team here and the people that share the word and the, and the guys who facilitate us in worship, their whole, the whole aim of it is to help you connect with God and to stir your passion. When I preach, I'm not trying to answer all your problems and all your questions and everything. I'm trying to bring you to the Scripture. And I don't take, go very far from the Scripture when I preach. I, I really try and stick close to the Scripture because it's the Scripture that you have that the Spirit of God can work through in our lives. We present ourselves to the Lord as instruments of righteousness, that Scripture continues. And instruments of righteousness is not only about what God does you know, as we present ourselves to the Word. It's also... There's nothing that will cause your life to grow as being an instrument of God and actually discipling somebody else. You know you've learned something when you can give it to somebody else. When you can help somebody else grow in it, then you know, okay, I know, I understand something of this. 
So the good works that God wants to do. So that's the positive side, being alive to God. And I think it's very important to begin there. But there's also the other side, being dead to sin. Not to present yourself to the things of this world. Not to present yourself. Because it doesn't really help. It makes sense. Eh? It doesn't help that on the one hand, I'm stirring my passion for God. And on the other hand, I'm eating the rubbish of the world. Then the Bible says I'm a carnal Christian, a fleshly Christian. I can't be eating the good, nutritious vitamins and healthy, strong things of the Word and of the Spirit of God that's growing my spirit and then at the same time eat all this other rubbish and garbage and think it's not going to have an effect on my life. So how do I not present myself to sin? And just a small thing in that, I'm not going to stay on it long, is to flee temptation, to understand temptation. We all face temptation. And we are all, it's possible for every one of us to be tempted by anything. But each of us do tend to have certain specific parameters in which our temptation normally happens. There's patterns. The devil's not all that creative. He's actually not creative at all. He finds a certain soft spot in you and he hits that all the time. So if you can start identifying that soft spot, that weak spot, and start allowing the Spirit of God to work in that area of your life, you can do a massive bit of minimizing and allow the Spirit of God. Now, how do we do that? I think it's really good to sit down and think through your temptations and to ask a couple of questions about what tempts you. These questions, what, how, when, where, and who? This is, in our, for those of you that know our circle, it's, this is the observe, reflect, discuss part of it. In your own mind to think and to perhaps even discuss it with somebody else. What tempts you? And again, there's not a million things. Perhaps your temptation, really the, the scope of your temptation falls within the realm of, I'm really tempted by material things. Money. Status. Material things. Tempt me. How does it tempt you? How do you get tempted by material things? How does it specifically manifest in your life? Perhaps in your life, the way material things tempt you is clothing. I really need to have nice clothing. Even if I don't have money, I end up having accounts at every store. I'm dodging phone calls, but I need the newest clothes. The more expensive, the better. That's a way that you are tempted in the material thing. Perhaps you can ask yourself, now when am I particularly tempted to go and buy clothes that I can't afford? Or even if I can't afford it that I really shouldn't have? When? Is there a specific time? Is it when you're tired? Is it when you're under pressure? Is there what? When? Can you understand that? Where? Are there certain places that you're particularly tempted? Like, you know, don't go to the mall, man. If I go to the mall... Just to get milk, I'm going to come home with four bags and new sneakers and everything. Go to the spa, they don't sell clothes. <laughs> Not ours doesn't in any case. Is there a who? Are there people involved with your temptations? Now, when, when you can describe and think through these things, we can get really spiritual with these things. Ooh. Sometimes just think through these things. Just pray, say, Lord, as you define and understand this, then you can start putting boundaries around it and saying, okay, 
Lord, I present myself to you and I want you to grow. And, and because ultimately I recognize that I'm being tempted by material things because there's something in my heart that I've not presented well enough to you yet. So I'm gonna continue to present myself to you and I want you to, I wanna grow in your love and understand that I don't need these material things because you are more than enough for me. But right now I'm still struggling with that reality. So I'm presenting myself to the Lord and at the same time, Lord, I'm gonna put boundaries around my temptations to diminish their strength in my life. Now, this is not about me controlling my sin. This is about me allowing space for the Spirit of God to do His work in me and guiding by the power of the Spirit my desires. So I encourage you, what, where, how, when, where, who of temptation. And I think if we can work in these things, it's amazing what God can do with us. I wonder if you can stand with me this morning. It is the desire of the Holy Spirit. It is the commitment of the Holy Spirit. It is the job description of the Holy Spirit. It is a big part of the reason He is in your life and my life is to get us to hit the target. And all He asks of us is to allow Him, to yield to Him, to submit to Him. He'll do the work. He'll do the heavy lifting. It'll feel to you like you're doing the heavy lifting, but I promise you He's doing the heavy lifting. Because sometimes just... To present myself is such hard work. But he will do it. So can we this morning just, each of us, just be in a little bubble for a moment. Each on your own, just for a moment. Just say, here I am, Lord, I present myself to you. Holy Spirit, come and Increase my hunger for the Lord. Give me more hunger for the Lord. Stir my passions, Lord. Stir my passions, Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit right now to just breathe life. Just to stir the passion for God within you. Lord, and it's our commitment that we would heal to your word, to you in prayer, in fellowship, in fasting, in whatever way, Lord, you lead us, whatever way you're busy with us, Lord, but we want to heal to you. We want to allow you. We want to give you the space. We're going to spend time with you, Lord. It's a privilege, Lord Jesus. We're going to heal to you. We're going to present ourselves to you. And Lord, as we do that, perhaps issues of sin will become clearer to us and we'll begin to more understand the damaging effect when we don't hit the mark. And Lord, in that space, we want to come and say, Lord, it's our commitment that we would, by the power of your spirit and the grace of your working, not present ourselves to the things of this world and the things of the flesh. We know this is hard, Lord. <laughs> we know we can't even do it on our own. It's not possible. But thank you that you strengthen us, that you enable us. Help us to begin to understand our temptations, Lord. So that we can see your spirit move. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I speak life to people.
life in abundance. In Jesus' name. I encourage you to spend some time with the Lord just during this week. And just do these two practices. I do this all the time. Lord, here I am. Like Romans 12 verse 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Just do that. Find different ways. Where in your car, wherever you are. Just say, Lord, here I am. I present myself to you. And then say, Holy Spirit, help me to see when I'm presenting myself to the things of this world. And how to deal with that. Because we live in this world. You can't not be present in this world. But you don't have to present yourself. That's something different. May the Lord bless you in this week. May you experience the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit upon your life. In a very beautiful, very real way. It will be our privilege to pray with you this morning. If any of you desire prayer, please come to the front. Our teams, pastors, elders, our leaders will be here. They'd love to pray with you. Perhaps you have never met Jesus. And today you want to say, I... I've been trying to do this on my own. I've been trying so hard to do live right, but I'm failing. Let us pray with you. Let us just help you to meet Jesus and let him come and make all the difference in your life. We love you very much. Have an awesome week. Bless you guys.